Mundane Mystic is a podcast chronicling the adventures, both mundane and magical, of a suburban witch. That's me, your hostess, Jenna Fox. Hello, it's been a long time. Of course, I keep thinking to myself, Jenna, you started a brand new podcast and then you go on like a what, three week break of just like not saying anything. Not super great for getting listens, follows, (laughs) etc. But that's not really what I'm here for, you know, as I've been reflecting on the last year or so of podcasting and kind of playing the social media game and really investing myself in doing interviews and talking with people. Um, I just realized that I want this to be um, this particular podcast to be much more fluid and much more in the moment, um, dealing with the stuff that is going on in my sort of daily existence which will probably mean that there are going to be times where I'm quiet, absent, you know, and then there's going to be times where I might be posting, podcasting a lot. So um, bear with me if you are somebody who really usually likes structure. Know that I am too, and I'm finding myself really in this season of go with the flow. So all of that to be um, kind of as an intro to The topic today that I wanted to talk about, which is really about uh, continued, it's a little bit cheesy, um, lifelong learning. That is a tagline that as an educator is something that I've been hearing since I was in college. And just this idea of continued self-growth and learning about kind of peeling back some of those onion layers, nesting doll layers of self to kind of uh, learn more about our way of being in the world and how we're maybe perceived by other people or how we're perceiving um, ourselves. So all of this really started um, this summer when I went to visit my friend Samantha in Montana. So Sam and I, we met um, through an herbalism forum uh, that was run from somebody on Instagram. And so then, of course, we connected on Instagram and we've been chatting for, you know, a year and a half or so. And so I went to visit her. It was a really great um, um, experience to kind of push myself outside of my comfort zone, be away from my babies for more nights than I have since they were born. And one of the things that I did while I was there was read a book that she had that she had been talking about called Millenniagram by Hannah Pash. And Millenniagram is actually a podcast and it's a book and you can follow Hannah um, and you can get uh, a lot more information um, directly from the source. I really do recommend the book. So the Millenniagram is a book that is putting the um, personality test, the Enneagram, into more uh, modern language. So, right, thinking about it from the perspective of a millennial. So, I am somebody who loves personality tests, everything from BuzzFeed quizzes to, um, you know, in graduate school, it was all about Myers Briggs and 16PF, and we did Holland Codes and Strong Interest Inventory and many different ways of figuring out a system to put into language to somehow conceptualize for other people and for ourselves our way of being in the world. And 
as an educator, this is something that I actually uh, spend a lot of time with my students on. Um, I particularly focus on Myers-Briggs um, because I love that it was uh, based in Carl Jung's ideas of archetypes and then also that it was developed in the 1940s by two women. So I found that Myers-Briggs um, type indicator, often called MBTI, has been um, like a really, it's like a really strength-based approach to um, seeing personality and kind of talking about, you know, interests and skills and decision-making um, processes. So the Enneagram, though, is a personality inventory that's a little bit different than Myers-Briggs and is one that uh, I did come across in graduate school. It's actually something that is really um, talked about a lot in evangelical or ex-evangelical circles. Um, I listen to the Liturgist podcast myself and, and so Enneagram is something that a lot of sort of spiritual folks have been um, really interested in it seems in the last few years and of course if you, you know, google this or you look on instagram there's a lot of different enneagram coaches and and people um trying to kind of use the enneagram for personal self-growth and so you know a few years ago when i took the enneagram the first time i paid for um the enneagram institute uh personality assessment and I took it, I was a four on the Enneagram. So now the Enneagram is based in what is our kind of like our core desires and our core fears, right? So sort of there's nine different types and then each type has like wings and it becomes, I'm not gonna explain the whole process um, to you. That's something that you can um, do for yourself that you can look up um, because I really just wanna talk about my, the evolution of shifting and changing um, knowledge about self. So Enneagram number four, uh, that was the type that I got, right? And it was, you know, it's often the, there's a tagline. It's like the romantic idealist or the tortured artist or sort of the, the ideas fours maybe feel like they don't quite fit into society in a conventional way. They might feel like a misfit spending time as a teenager kind of being like, you know, um, not really feeling maybe uh, just feeling different, than the world at large. And so, yeah, I totally resonated with that, right? It was something where I was like, yeah, okay, I'm a four. And I took that into um, sort of my my perspective, my field of vision. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is who I am. And this is something um, that I can use to think about my way of being in the world, right? Now, one of the things that sets Enneagram apart from, say, like Myers-Briggs is that it is, um, it's about your core fears and your core desires, not necessarily about actions. So Myers-Briggs, you may be able to say um, somebody's an introvert or an extrovert based on how they appear externally. So somebody who maybe withdraws more or likes to, you know, spend time reading or daydreaming, you might, you might be able to safely assume that they're an introvert. Though maybe that's not, you know, completely accurate for how they're actually feeling in their body. Um, but Enneagram, it's really hard um, and it's not encouraged to type somebody based on the external actions that they do because it is more about the inner state. 
So I went into this uh, summer adventure with my friend Sam, who also really likes Enneagram and Myers-Briggs, and we talk about personality and tests and, and kind of just are always trying to find language to explain our existence in the world. And I picked up uh, the Millennium Graham book that she had um, on her bookshelf. And I started reading. And one of the things that I am really always trying to be mindful of is something that I'm tr- I try to model for my students is that it's important to, if you know something about yourself or you feel something about yourself to be true, to kind of consistently um, or periodically, it's not always like I need to be cynical about knowing things about myself, but to, to, to question and to come across new information and think about things differently. So what I, what my impulse for reading the Millennium Graham book was to just go straight to chapter four and read all about my type four, right? And ignore the rest because I don't really need to know about anybody else's business. I just want to know about myself. And I was like, no, Jenna, you should just start. You should just like read the beginning, read the intro, do the quiz, kind of dive in, see if you can learn anything more and interact with this system in a different way which is actually something that I talk with my students about, right? Is one of the ways that I set up my classroom is that I consistently participate in the assignments that I ask my students to do. And sometimes I talk to them about it and sometimes I don't. So when we do goal setting, I do goal setting, right? Um, There was a uh, one quarter where my goal was to run a 5K. And so throughout the quarter, I was training. And one of the things that it helps me do as an educator is to remember how challenging it is to have um, an assignment to juggle schoolwork while also juggling a social life and family life and job, etc. So to have kind of those things on my radar so that I don't get so far removed from my students' experiences that I become one of those educators that just assigns a ton of homework, has no compassion for some of the experiences that they're maybe going through. So with that, when I have students who come to my class and they're like, well, I already know my Myers-Briggs types, I'm like, take the quiz again, right? Because situations or things can change or maybe something is worded in a different way. So here I am sitting on a ranch in Montana and I pick up the millenniagram and I read through the quiz and I answer the questions. And as you've maybe guessed, based on the topic of this podcast, I am not a four. I'm not a four. You guys, this is, is like mind bending, shocking revelation to me. I'm an eight. And I'm going to give a little bit of like a description of what that means. Um, It is a, in the Enneagram, there are like three different triads of numbers. And uh, the number four would have been in like the feeling triad, which always felt a little weird to me because I'm somebody that doesn't necessarily uh, emote or feel lots of feels. Um, But an eight is in the body-based intuition triad. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. So 
I was reading about the eight. Of course, I just flipped right to the chapter eight once I took this and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, is crazy. Um, and the eight in Millenniagram is affectionately termed the dragon. And she says that I'm going to just a couple quotes here. She was like, I call eights dragons because no other number possesses raw intuitive power on on their level. Eights are larger than life, armed with a vivacious magnetic intensity that follows them into every space, upsetting power dynamics of a party and resetting its gravitational pull. When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, so many things started falling into place that I have not been able to find an accurate description for in any of the other personality um, tests that I had taken or even trying to use um, the, the language of the four or feeling like left out or feeling somehow outside of society. And this is why, is because in the traditional Enneagram descriptions, when I would read um, questions, basically the, the core fear of an Enneagram 8 is being out of control. And there is so much um, stigma around the word control. And for me, it's about safety and autonomy. And so when I was reading about the need for autonomy, the need for um, the ability to kind of have um, safety and know that you're safe and being able to kind of like make a mark or make a difference, that languaging was so different than some of the more traditional where it felt like of all of the descriptions in all of the Enneagram literature that I had read was that eights were just kind of like jackasses, that they were just these like power hungry monsters who were just coming into the world and were like, I need this. And I'm going to do anything to have like world domination. And I honestly don't feel like that. I walk through the world it's something that my sister is pretty famously uh, known for saying is that I tend to walk into a room and I change the temperature of the room of whatever situation I'm going into. If I'm if I'm feeling happy and I'm feeling comfortable, then things kind of like light up and become even more exciting and good and and free flowing. And if I'm feeling closed or reserved or grumpy, then I kind of like suck the air out of the room. And and I remember being like, but I'm not trying to do that. Like I'm just walking about and I'm always trying to be very mindful of other people. And I'm not, I'm not ever intending to go in and be like, I'm going to make everyone feel like garbage. Right. Um, and so it was interesting to read about this idea of needing to have kind of an autonomy and a and a control over self. And as I've been diving into more of this information um, on Enneagram 8, I can now, Millenniagram 8, which is an Enneagram 8, I'm now able to see as it feels really true in my body in a, in a more deeply settled way than a four ever felt, right? Like a four type felt for me like I was putting on an outfit that fit okay, but it didn't feel just like, ah, my comfy PJ clothes, right? And so um, as I'm, I'm diving into this information, I'm thinking about how my early experiences really must have informed this personality type. And 
I'm thinking about all the way back to the beginning when I was in utero and when I was um, a, a little, little infant in the first couple of days of my life while I was with my birth mother. And then um, some of these larger forces at play, larger um, decisions, uh, fully formed autonomous, uh, you know, adults kind of, there was like many people involved in the transaction, um, energetic contract, whether I decided on this as a soul incarnating in this world, that this was going to be my experience, or it was just a random happenstance that I was born into, um, um, a mother's family where she did not want to parent, there were choices that were made where I was literally not in control, right? And of course, in so many ways, none of us are in control of things, right? There's just stuff that happens. And then there are, you know, things that we do have control over. I talk to my students about locus of control and sphere of influence. But Learning about this, it's it was really, really helpful because it seemed like some of the literature that I had been reading was that these eights were these this big kind of like machismo and that they just wanted the center of attention. And, and Hannah Pash actually even says, she goes, it's not that eights have to be the center of attention. They largely leave the shenanigans up to the sevens. They just carry a sense of power and authority that demands respect and deference. You can feel the energy shift when an eight walks into the room. They tend to be leaders and protectors, people who take charge and are active in their space. And it was just really, really, really affirming to me that I was in that heart space of being able to be open enough to um, encounter new information about myself and to then um, settle into it and learn about it and explore it and be like, oh, this thing that I thought I knew about myself wasn't true, right? And it, and even kind of in reflecting back on like my spiritual journey, it's kind of been this way, right? It's like a rediscovering of things and appealing back layers and being like, no, no, what do I actually believe? Okay. Okay. Now what do I actually believe? Like, can I dive in? Can I settle in? And what's been really neat about this is that it's been, there's been a ripple effect, right, in my life is that um, I have had these wonderful conversations with other people who, especially, you know, some of my really, my close friends who have then been able to kind of reevaluate and look at this information and be like, okay, am I really this, right? Am I really this? Or is is there something um is there something different or was that like something that was true about myself or felt true but now is there like a more true story so that's kind of where i've been in the last um couple of weeks is really sort of integrating this information um i really recommend millenniagram by hannah pash or the um or her podcast that dives into um, the different personality types um i would actually like start with her information right her her quiz um and her book before then kind of maybe diving backward more into some of the longer term um, or like considered like scholarly work on the Enneagram because 
the way she describes each and every one of the, you know, because I've now read the entire thing, I feel like it's a really super great approachable look at it that might help you see yourself reflected in kind terms that are also not sugar-coated, just glitter bombs, cupcakes, and like, you know, no substance, but in kinder terms that you can see yourself maybe more clearly um, to then think about um, some of the other, reading some of the other literature. So that's kind of what I've been up to on my spiritual journey, my journey of self-discovery this summer. And I'm really excited because school's starting back up and I'm really excited to be able to take this lesson and to actively then be able to share with my students about how, um, I'm continuing to learn about myself, that at 36, I can continue to learn more about myself, that it's not just this like, bloop, I have it all figured out. And now it's like coasting till death. So, all right, until I talk to you guys next time, have a great day.